Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Hallelujah. It's good to be here in Texas. It's hot, and you have hot sauce. So, it's really hot. <laughs> so, um, uh, I am Ron, it's good to be with you, and we're going to get into the Word of God in just a minute. Uh, I wanted to mention a couple things real quick. Uh, the message I'm preaching today, it's based on a book I wrote called The Coming End Time Awakening, and I would love to send you that. It's free of charge. I'm going to pass around this clipboard, and if you would sign up for our newsletter um, sometime this week, we will, can I get your help there? Thank you so much. Uh, we will send you the book. It's an ebook. Um, and it's about 100 pages, and I believe it will equip you for the days that our brother was just talking about. Um, so uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, just real quickly, one of the things that my wife and I do more and more is we lead tours in Israel. Have you ever been to Israel? <laughs> I've got four dear friends here who were just with us on our last tour in May. I guess they liked it because they came to hear me speak. <laughs> but um, we do tours to Israel. If you'd like to come on our next tour, uh, it, we have a lot of fun. We learn a lot. We laugh. We cry. We eat. Um, right? It's good. It's fun. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, we've got a brief video I want to show you on that, and then we'll be right back. Are we ready with that? I can keep talking. Here we go. This is the place to come to have your heart changed. It's one of the highlights of my life. Incredible in so many ways I didn't expect. Best time of my life! For anything 
better than what I've had over the last eight days. If you're thinking about it, go. It's been amazing. I just want to come back. So if you'd like to... Uh... <laughs> if you... If you'd like to join us, uh, you go to uptozion.net. And uh, we've got a group going in December and one in May, and we'd love to have you join us. And then real briefly, uh, we have a few books here. This is a book I wrote um, a few years ago quite by accident. Uh, I, I wrote this book out of frustration. Uh, I, I get to travel all over the world. It, it, it's wonderful. And, and I get to minister for about 40 minutes which is great, but I've got 16 hours of teaching when I'm teaching on the Jewish roots of the faith. And, and I would just get frustrated, so I decided I'm going to write a book. And I finished the book, and I began to sense that the Lord wanted me to rewrite the whole book. It took me nine months to write it, and then uh, he was telling me to rewrite it as a novel, to take all the teaching and put it in three novels. And I said no. Um, cause I don't know how to do that. I don't, who writes novels? Novelist, right? I'm not a novelist. I'm just a guy. And, uh, but we did it. So I don't know how I did it, but by the grace of God, it was a lot of fun. Once I committed to it, it was like getting on a roller coaster. I didn't know where it was going, but it's a book that will equip you to share the Jewish, uh, to share the gospel with Jewish people. And then the second book is out. It's called The Jerusalem Secret Identity Theft. And the Jerusalem secret. And then if you're interested in actually uh, hearing my testimony, that's a, can you see the resemblance? That's me. I was, I was younger then. I had bigger ears. Um, and uh, uh, it's called Leave Me Alone, I'm Jewish, which is exactly what I said to my best friend when he started talking to me about Yeshua after he was born again in high school. So I've got a one-minute video. Do you like videos? It's more fun than hearing me speak anyways. So i got a one-minute video. And then if you'd like to get those out after the service today, um, they are normally $15 a piece. Uh, but if you get two, they're 22 And three are only $30. And can we start from the beginning with sound? Long before identity thieves and hackers preyed upon the innocent. Before our security and privacy were at risk. The most sinister act of identity theft took place. And the victim was none other than Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah. So you can get that at the end of the service if you like. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in the name of Yeshua that your word is alive, uh, that it's living, Father, that 
Your word is meant to keep us focused, to keep us on the right course, uh, to keep us from being deceived, particularly in these end times, in Yeshua's name. We ask for your anointing, your blessing, and we pray that you wake us up to the times in which we're living, in Yeshua's name. Amen. I believe that there's going to be a great revival an awakening before Yeshua comes back. And I'm going to show you in the scriptures where this is taught. I've always had a longing for revival. Ever since I was a brand new believer, I would read stories of George Whitfield, John Wesley. They would go out in England in, in front of tens of thousands of miners before they would go to work at 5 a.m., and they would preach the gospel. They'd meet them at 4 p.m. in the afternoon when they'd come back. And, and as they preached, they said you could see the white lines from the tears wiping off the, the smut and the dirt from their faces. Uh, just the idea of 10,000 people listening to you preach the gospel. I used to read stories of Charles Finney, who would go in the northeast of the United States to go from city to city preaching the gospel. Often he would go to a city... And they did, they, they were mad at him. They didn't like him. They wanted to kill him. <laughs> and then he'd preach the gospel. And then sometimes he would not even give an invitation. Sometimes he would let the people think about it overnight. And in the middle of the night, these people who wanted to kill him hours earlier are banging on his door singing, what must we do to be saved? They were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I've always had that passion for revival. I'd read those books and just cry out to God, Lord, I want to see that in my lifetime. One of my mentors, Dr. Michael Brown, we moved to Maryland at the same time. He carried that same passion. And in 1995, there was an outpouring in Brownsville, uh, in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, an Assemblies of God church there on Father's Day. 1995, if you watch the video of this um, service, it's it's nothing special. Except at the end of the message, you know, there's an altar call for people to give their lives to Yeshua. Four out of a couple thousand people, four people come forward. I mean, that's nice. Four is, you know, it's better than three or zero, right? It's not as good as a hundred. <laughs> and they come up. One old dude, I mean, it was taking him a long time. And, and, and you're... It, it, because I knew what's about to happen, I'm, I'm like, really, this is it? And then after they take care of that, he gives Steve Hill, he uh, gives an uh, invitation for people who just want a touch from God. And they, about, a, I don't know, hundreds of people come forward, they start praying for people, still no big deal. And then suddenly the atmosphere changes. And you see the pastor, John Kilpatrick, slumped to the floor. He didn't get up for four hours. Uh, the power of God entered into that building and stayed there for five years. So a few months later, when they started, they were having now every meeting, every night meetings, Dr. Michael Brown went down, he called me up on the phone, I could just hear he was trembling in his voice, and he said, Ron, this is it, this is real, this is revival. My wife and I, we got on a plane, we went down there, and, and it, it was amazing. People would be driving by, and for no reason... Just walk in the church and get born again. There was one guy whose wife came down from Georgia 
to check this, you know, move of God out, and she was blessed and touched, and, and she didn't want to come home yet. And so she told her husband, I'm, I'm just going to stay here for a little bit. And he said, no, you need to come home. And she said, no, I need to stay in the presence of God. And, and, and he was very upset about that, and he got in a car from Georgia, and he drove down to come get his wife, and he walked in the building and was thrown up against the wall and stuck for about two hours. <laughs> and he got born again. And the two of them are now in ministry. Needless to say, she didn't go home. He stayed. <laughs> they, they actually moved and lived in our neighborhood. We ended up moving there and teaching in the Bible school. And, and, but it, it, it's just awesome to see when God changes a community. When God changes families. You know, that's how you know revivals come. When whole families are turning to the Lord. There was one uh, uh, story that to this day, it just uh, amazing. There was a family, uh, or a girl rather, a young little girl about 10 years old. And every Friday nights we would do immersions in water. And, you know, like right here in front of the whole congregation. And they were powerful. And I'm telling you, friends, if you didn't have ushers to carry people out, people would have drowned. Because often the power of God would hit these people and if there weren't people there to help them, they, they couldn't move. And you say, well, Ron, I don't believe in that. Well, you weren't there. You know, if you were there, you would believe in it. And um, why do we have a hard time believing in things like that? You know, I, let me just tell you something. There's a story in the Bible about uh, Philip, the evangelist. He was one place and then he was somewhere else. And we read that and we go, yeah, that's cool. But if I told you right now that let, let's suppose I told you that this morning I woke up in Richmond and the Lord translated me here to Texas, none of you would believe me. Now, it didn't happen, just to be clear. In fact, I had an amazing experience this morning. Uh, so I'll tell you. <laughs> A week ago, I had this dream. This is crazy. I had a dream about an evangelist who's, who's well-known. I won't mention his name, but but he's well-known on television. And I, I felt I had this message for him. And I said, well, that's weird. I, I've met this guy once in my life. I don't know how to get in touch with him. And I would feel really awkward just calling him up. And even if I had his number, that was a week ago. I woke up this morning and I was deciding whether to pray or go work out. <laughs> what did I do? Both. But I went up to work out in the hotel on the roof. There's a, a gym and I walk in there. I finish working out and I'm getting ready to leave. And who is in front of me but that guy? So I said, he remembered me. We talked for a minute. I forgot about the dream. I, was, I didn't even think about it. And he's leaving and, and I'm going to stretch. And I remembered the dream. And I said, hey, wait a minute. I just dream about you a week ago. How weird is that? I mean, we're the, in Texas, he doesn't even live here. I definitely don't live here. So, see, God does cool things. You know, I want to live a supernatural life. I want to walk in the power of God. I want to wake up every day hungry for God, expecting the supernatural. You know, in, in Israel, one of the neat things that we've been seeing, I'm going to go off course a little bit, but you'll be all right. Um, I see the clock. Can, can you put that down, please? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, you can leave it. They weren't doing anything anyways. So we're, we're in Israel, some of our young people began to go out on the streets and, and, and just ask people if they could pray for them. They started seeing healings and, and we, we did training and we, we had, a year ago we had 200 Israelis on the streets of Jerusalem praying for the sick. 
And we had testimony after testimony. I was in a city not long ago called Mivaseret. Mivaseret means good news, as in uh, to preach the good news. Uh, and so I'm in the good news mall, and this woman is, uh, and I was there by accident. I actually got lost on my way to a meeting, and then I'm in front of a mall, and I thought, well, I do need to get something, and I'm early. I run in the mall, and I'm in the drugstore, and there's a woman, two people in front of me, and she is clearly in back pain. And uh, I just felt like I'm, I'm supposed to pray. That's why I'm here. That's why I got lost. That's why, you know, okay, God, I'm, I'm willing to pray. There's another woman between us. And I said, well, God, how she'll be gone by the time I pay. And that literally, as I said that, the woman walked away. And then the woman who had the back pain finished paying. I'm up to pay. And I'm trying to be quick. But then she walks out the store and stands still, does not move, doesn't go to her car, doesn't leave the mall. She's just waiting. Weird. So I pay real quick. I run outside and I say to her in Hebrew, I can see that you're in back pain. You know, lots of times I pray for people. They're in pain and God heals them. Would you like me to pray for you? That's a little weird, right? Somebody walks up to you. Unless you're in back pain. You ever been in back pain? Like where you can't walk? It's like the worst, you know? And it just can make life miserable. And she looked at me like I was a little strange. But she also said, well, sure, why not? You know, what did she have to lose? So I, and in this mall, I just point at her in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, I prayed for her to be healed, and she just looks at me stunned. And, and like, what did you do? <laughs> and, cause the pain was gone. And, and, and I said to her, stay here, don't move, I want to give you something to read. We, we have translated, uh, this book into Hebrew. And um, I ran out to the car and I got it, got my testimony track, ran back in. And to prove that she was healed, she was still there. You know, like she would have, if she wasn't healed, she would like, I'm getting away. That dude's weird. And, but she didn't. She was waiting for me. And friends, I want to encourage you. You can do that. You can do that. You know what Yeshua said? He said, the things that I do, people in full-time ministry will do. That's right. <laughs> no, it's not right. <laughs> the things that I do, you shall do. Every believer shall do. Every believer can walk in the power of God. Every believer can walk in the gifts of the Spirit. And I've always been hungry for that. Not for the sake of seeing the power of God, although that is awesome. But for the sake of leading people to Yeshua. Yeshua used miracles to wake people up. To get their attention. To show these real. But I've always had this hunger for revival. And I noticed that when I got, came to faith, that people used to tell me that when, when you know, it's just going to get darker and darker, and then there, you know, people are going to disappear, and then seven years later, Jesus comes back. Now, I don't want to mess with anybody's end times theology. I just don't see that in the Bible. Um, I've read it a few times, and uh, I, 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 I've asked people this. I said, if nobody ever taught you about a pre-tribulation rapture, would you come to that conclusion? By reading the Bible on your own. Well, if somebody just handed you a Bible, you never read it, and you were just, just tell us about the second coming, you probably would not say, well, there's, there's these two events. Maybe there is, maybe. Here's my advice. Be ready to go and be ready to stay. I want to live my life so that if there is a pre-tribulation rapture, I'm ready to go. I'm loving Yeshua. I'm... I, I, the lover of my soul, as we sang earlier. But I also, as our brother prayed about the 
tribulation coming, I also want to be ready in case there is suffering, in case I am called to be one who is beheaded for the gospel. Revelation speaks about a great number of people being beheaded. Now that's not fun. You don't get, actually it's not a bad way to go. It's very quick. You know, you, you want a really good blade, you know. There's some worse things they could do to you. Be ready to stay, be ready to go. What I'm concerned about is that if we are called to stay, the Bible speaks about a great falling away in the end times, people whose hearts are wax cold. And I wonder if it's not people who thought they would never suffer. And then suddenly it's here. So I do believe a revival is coming, but the Bible also teaches about a great falling away in tribulation. Now, I do not believe that believers will suffer from the wrath of God. I don't believe we'll suffer from the plagues. I think we'll be like the Jews in Egypt, in Goshen, where the plagues were all over ancient Egypt. They weren't in Goshen. God protected his people. I believe we'll be protected. The whole Pharaoh Exodus story is an allegory uh, or a type and shadow of the Antichrist in the end times. There's tribulation on the world today. There's also miracles in the world today. Jeremiah Johnson said that every miracle that we read about in the book of Acts is happening right now in China. 1948, there were 1 million believers in China. Today, there are 160 million believers. There's revival all over the earth. I was in Nepal a year ago, and I found out that the, the, the body of believers in Nepal has grown from under 1% in 2006, 7, in 10 years, 12 years, it has grown to over 10%. There are now 2.5 million believers out of 25 million. And it's a, it's a Hindu country, and God is moving in that country. In India, in South America, there is revival. Now, if you turn to John chapter 2, let's get into the word a bit. There's a great story there, and it's a strange story. It's a story about Yeshua going to a wedding, right? You ever go to a wedding? Fun, you dress up, you're excited, you're going to see friends, you're going to eat good food, you're going to celebrate, right? It's fun to go to a wedding. And Yeshua, he was man, God in man, on earth with his disciples. They go to the wedding. And then a great tragedy takes place. They run out of wine. I know we're in the Bible Belt, but or maybe they ran out of grape juice. I'm not sure. <laughs> All we know is that Miriam, the mother of Yeshua, comes to him in a panic and says they've run out of wine. And I can tell you exactly what was going on. I live in the Middle East, and in a wedding in the Middle East, there is always, from the time you get there until the time you leave, there's wine. And often, well not often, in all weddings there's about an hour of eating and drinking before the actual ceremony. Then there is the ceremony and then there is another meal and then another meal and in between that dancing and wine. and It's a very long event. And I believe that Miriam, she wasn't just looking for a glass of wine. I don't think she had a hard day and she just needed to unwind. 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 She was concerned for the 
family of the bridegroom. That's a great, we call it in Hebrew, a busha, a shame, an embarrassment to, to invite all those people over and you don't have enough wine. That is just wrong in Middle Eastern culture. And she was concerned and she said, it's not my time. What are you doing? But you see, she was the mother of the Messiah. So she took a little liberty. And finally, he said, he doesn't even call her mom or mommy or mother. He says, woman. <laughs> he was not happy with her, you know, but he ends up doing a miracle. He says, fine, bring me jars. I'll do it. <laughs> and he, and they, they fill it up with water. You know the story. And then they bring the, the, and by the way, I think that is a picture of us. We are those stone jars. What does the Bible say about us? Before we're believers, we have a heart of stone. And what happens is when we receive the Holy Spirit inside of us, God turns our water into wine. And then we're life to everyone we meet. So they take some of the water that's now wine and they bring it to the master of the ceremony. It says right here, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink or too much grape juice. Because you know what happens when you drink too much grape juice. But you have saved the best till now. Now I remember the night before I moved to Israel, 2003, my dad and I cooked steaks together. Uh, I was going to be leaving the next day with my wife and my kids and we cooked steaks and he went back, he has a wine cellar and he brings out, I mean, very expensive wine. And the problem is when you taste something like that, your, your, everything else tastes like Coca-Cola afterwards. So I understand what this guy is saying. He's saying, you know, normally you bring out the red, that, that, that good $500 bottle stuff first, and then you bring out the Mad Dog 2020. <laughs> if you ever had that. I get stories, but we won't go there. You bring that out when nobody notices the difference. But you've done the opposite. You've saved the best until last. Now, if you look at that story, it's a strange story. Why is it there? Why is that Yeshua's first miracle? Why is he wasting his first miracle on something as controversial as alcohol? Why don't you raise the dead, heal a leper or two? But wine? Because I believe there's a prophetic word in there for us. And the prophetic word is this, is that whatever we've seen in the book of Acts, at the beginning of Yeshua's Ministry, he's still ministering by the way. That's just normal wine. He saved the bridegroom. Yeshua was the bridegroom. He has saved the best till the end. And that there is wine, and by wine I mean the power of the Holy Spirit that is going to be poured out on planet earth in the end times that will overshadow what we see in the book of Acts. You say, well I don't believe in that. Well it's already happening. Whether you believe in it or not, it may not be happening here, but I've been to Africa. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen demons come out of people. I always find that funny when people say, well, healing's not for today. Well, is, is demon possession for today? It, you know, it, in the Bible, God healed, but now, you know, we suffer for the glory. Are we, you know, in the Bible, people had demons and they got set free. But, but, but now that we have the word of God, should we keep our demons? 
The answer is no, by the way. You know, we want to get rid of them and we want to be healed. He saved the best for last. And then we go over, so that's point number one. Point number one is that the wine that is coming is better than what was served in the book of Acts. And I'm going to show you theologically where that's in the Bible. But now let's go to John chapter four. In John chapter four, Yeshua is coming from Jerusalem and he's on his way back to Galilee. That's where his headquarters were in Capernaum. And on his way back, he stops in. Anybody? Where'd he stop? John 12. Sa- Sa- Samaria. Stops in Samaria. They weren't Jews in Samaria. The Samaritans, they were part of a what's called a population swap. When the northern ten tribes were taken prisoner by the Assyrians, the Samaritans were sent down. And so these were non-Jews. You could call them Gentiles. And Yeshua stops to be with these gents, meets a woman at the well, reads her mail, they have a move of God, the whole town comes out, they believe in him, and he stays with them there. Who knows how many days he stayed there? Two. <laughs> it's a good try though, you were close. Uh, stays there two days. What does the Bible say? That a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. So maybe allegorically Yeshua stayed there two thousand years. He starts in Jerusalem with the Jewish people. He goes to Samaria to be with the Gentiles for two days or 2,000 years. But then after that time, the fullness of the Gentiles or the times of the Gentiles, he then returns to the Galilee and the Bible says they welcome him there. Now, as you can read in the Bible, they didn't always welcome him. They tried to kill him a few times in the Galilee. They didn't like him. But it says they welcomed him. That's what the Bible says will happen when he comes back. We read it just a few minutes ago in our New Testament portion, Matthew chapter 23, where it talks about, uh, Yeshua says, you will not see me again until you, the Jews of Jerusalem, say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Until you welcome me. Because you see, when you're, if you live in Israel, if you're a Hebrew speaker, when somebody comes to your home, you don't say welcome, because that would be English. You say, Baruch haba. You say, blessed is he who comes. It's kind of cool, right? Someone comes to your house, blessed is he who comes. If it's plural, blessed are them who come. That's how we welcome people. Yeshua's saying, until you welcome me, I'm not coming back. It's also how we invite a bridegroom into the wedding. And then the bridegroom comes in. Yeshua is the bridegroom. So you recognize me, welcome me as the Messiah, the bridegroom. I'm not coming back. Yeshua will not come back until there is a at least a remnant of Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem who are crying out, welcoming them. So again, He starts in Jerusalem. He spends 2,000 years with the Gentiles. We read in Acts chapter 1, Yeshua's with the disciples. They say, Lord, at this time are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I've heard so many preachers mock them. Mock the disciples. They're so dumb. They don't get it. And there were things that they didn't yet get. They didn't understand that it was not the time and that they were going to go throughout the world with the gospel. But as good students of the Bible, they understood that when the Messiah comes, he comes to be king from Jerusalem over the whole world. They were not dumb. 
They just did not have revelation regarding the mystery of the Kehillah, of the Ecclesia. And so he says, you know what, you guys are just dumb. Go to Jerusalem. No, that's not what he said. I, he, 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 I mean, he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So it's not like he was afraid to give them a harsh word. Once he says, how long must I put up with you? I mean, I mean, disciples probably needed a little bit of inner healing, right? When it was all over. <laughs> he says, it's not for you to know the times that the Father set by his own authority. In other words, yeah, one day God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel, but it's not today. Today, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And when you get to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on you. You're going to be filled with power. By the way, that's the reason we get filled with the Holy Spirit is not to be cool, not to feel good, not to get goosebumps, not to fall on the ground, not to laugh or cry. Those are sometimes byproducts, not even to pray in tongues, as much as I love to pray in the Holy Spirit. The reason there is a thing called the immersion in the Holy Spirit is to preach the message of Yeshua in power. They got born again in John chapter 20. 20. He breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. But it was 50 days later on Shavuot when they get immersed in the Holy Spirit. And these guys, I mean, Peter... Read Acts 2. He's a different man. We get immersed in the Holy Spirit to be a witness. So, he says, it's not now. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And they're thinking, okay, we'll wait a couple years. And then, no, 20, 30 years, 70 AD, destruction of Jerusalem. The Messianic Jews thought, oh, it's happening now. He, you know, do you remember Jesus said, when you see armies surrounding the holy city, Flee to the mountains? So they fled, thinking, all right, this is the second coming. But here we are 2,000 years later. But I can confidently say, I think, (laughs) we are that generation. Why? Because Jerusalem is in the hands of the Jews. Israel's a nation again. You, You do understand that's impossible. But if you're a scientist... There are things that are possible, and there are things that are impossible. Now, for a scientist, a thing that is impossible is something that's never happened, despite many opportunities. For instance, there's never in the history of the world, until 1948, been a nation that was separated from its geographical homeland for more than one or two or three generations and remained an identifiable people group. They they were all assimilated. They didn't last. Israel lasted 80 generations. Only God could have done that. Why why do we know that? Because based on science, it's impossible. It's never happened. Based on science, a country that is conquered and and exiled, dispersed, they, they cease to be a nation within 100 years. 1,900 years. Okay. So, number one, turns water into wine, he saved the best for last. Number two, 
The Bible gives us another allegory, I believe, in John chapter 4, where Yeshua goes from Jerusalem to 2,000 years with the Gentiles, but then he comes back to Israel and the Jews welcome him there. Number three, I said I was going to show you this in the Bible. Turn to Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11, well, we'll go to 9 first. I don't know if you know the background of the book of Romans. Most believers do not. Most scholars don't know. But the book of Romans was written intentionally. There's a reason that Paul speaks a lot about Israel in the book of Romans, and he doesn't in other other books. Ephesians a little bit, Galatians eensy bit, Colossians hardly. But in Romans, he's got this whole theology. Why Romans? Well, what we know is that in the year 49, and we know this from the Bible and also from history, we know that... Claudius, the emperor of Rome, kicked out all the Jews from Rome. He kicked out the Messianic Jews. He kicked out the non-Messianic Jews. Why? Uh, we don't know why. We do know that it was over the issue of somebody by the name of Crestus. We know that from Suetonius. Suetonius is a historian, and he tells us that. But nobody knows who Crestus is or was. But it sounds a lot like Christos which is Christ, which is Messiah, which is Yeshua. So what, what is believed by many scholars is that there was this infighting in the Jewish community over who Yeshua was and is, and Claudius got so upset about it that he sent them away. And, and why would he get upset? Well, Jews believed in one God. Claudius was a pagan, a Roman. He was a deity. And how would you feel if you're a deity, and not only do these people not recognize that you're a deity, they just believe in one and they're fighting about that. He kicked them out. That's my hypothesis. And then five years later, in the year 54, they were allowed back in, that's also history, uh, by Nero. And when they come back to the congregation in Rome, it appears they were not welcomed. It appears they were not received. And if you understand that little piece of information, go back and read Romans with that piece of information. And then you realize why Paul is emphasizing you've got to stand with Israel. Don't turn against the Jewish people. Why is he telling them that? Because they had turned against the Jewish people. It's probably the first time that we saw replacement theology. How do we know it was there? Because Paul asked them, has God rejected Israel? And he says, no, may it never be. That's the literal Greek translation. No, may it never be. Can't happen. And in chapter 9, he makes a very difficult to believe statement. I speak the truth in Messiah. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish myself cursed and cut off from the Messiah for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Continue, please. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all. Paul says, I would be willing to go to hell. If only my brothers who have rejected them, that their eyes would be open, that they would see he's the Messiah. I would be willing to trade my salvation for their salvation. That's a prayer I've never prayed. 
And probably you've never prayed. That, that, that is the heart of God. That's not Paul. That is scripture. That is Paul tapping into the heart of God for the Jewish people. Doesn't mean that God loves the Jewish people more than other people. Not at all. God called Abraham to reach the Jewish people. He called the Jewish people, I'm sorry, to reach the nations. He called the Jewish people to be a light for the Gentiles. God's plan was always to reach the whole world, but he was going to use one nation. And it breaks the heart of God that that one nation that he chose as the senior son, if you will, has fallen away. That breaks the heart of God. But you know what breaks the heart of God even more is when his adopted kids, the Gentiles that have been born again, start persecuting the natural born kids. My friend, Troy Brewer, he's a pastor not far from here in in uh, Burleson. He has orphanages all over the world. And a lot of the kids in those orphanages, they don't even know who their parents are. They don't have names. And so he gives them his last name, Brewer. And he used this analogy, teaching on this passage, uh, uh, or this principle in Romans. He said, can you imagine? Because the Bible says, Romans 11, 11, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous, to provoke Israel to jealousy. And he says, can you imagine if my th- these adopted kids heard that my natural kids were in trouble and then they persecuted them? Imagine how I would feel as a father who adopted them into my home, gave them my name, and then they went after my natural kids. He said, conversely, imagine how I would be so happy and blessed to hear that my adopted kids who have been grafted in to the Brewer household have heard that my kids were in trouble and they went after them to be a blessing. How much would my favor rain down on those kids? That's why the Bible says, I will bless those who bless Abraham. See, I'll curse those. That's just natural for any father. It's not, you know, oh, there's a deep principle, a formula. No, that's just the heart of God. He's saying, this is my firstborn, Abraham, and he's going to reach the nations through his seed. I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm changing his name to father of many nations. And I'm going to reach the whole world through him. And then when he hears that some of those who are reached start turning against Abraham, well, that's going to make him a little bit upset. Right? Common sense. Same thing, if they start blessing Abraham and his seed, God's going to say, hey, pour out your blessing there. Pour out, let's bless those people over there. So I said I was going to show you theologically where, and we'll get there in just a minute. But you know the story. Romans chapter 11, Paul compares the body of believers, the household of God, to an olive tree. And he says that some, not all, some of the natural branches were broken off, and then wild olive branches were grafted in. By the way, uh, you cannot graft in a wild branch into a cultivated tree and have it bear fruit. It, It can't happen. They don't do it. You have to eat... And if you can, if you know anything about olive trees, and but you can just literally carve out a little piece, stick a branch in there, you know, put something around it, and it will become part of the tree. But if it's a wild branch, it will not bear fruit. What God does here is supernatural. It's against the laws of nature. He said, "I'm going to graft you into the cultivated tree." 
But then he says, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches, the ones that were broken off the Jewish people. If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say the branches were broken off so I could be grafted in. Continue, please. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant against the natural branches, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. That's, that's one of those verses you need to read a few times. If he didn't spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either if you attack those broken off branches. Instead, you should be reaching down, picking them up and putting them back in. Consider therefore the sternness, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. I, I am a grafted in again branch. Praise God. By grace, by the mercy of God. And then the Bible teaches, if you go back to verse 12, he says, now, if the broken off branches, Israel, if their transgression means riches for the world. Now, did you get that? The transgression of Israel, rejecting Yeshua, caused riches for the world. And Israel's loss means riches for the nations, for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? In other words, if the branches broken off lying on the ground ended up being a blessing for the nation, what happens when those branches begin to do what they're called to do, become a light for the nation, begin to get born again, preach the gospel? He uses the phrase greater riches. And he's comparing greater riches to riches. He says the rejection caused riches, but their acceptance will cause greater riches. So in order to know what greater riches is, we have to find out what riches are. And from the text, you would assume that riches are what happens in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see what happens in the nations as a result of Jewish rejection. They're kicked out of Jerusalem, they're scattered, they go all over the world, they preach the gospel, and there's a revival in all these cities, in all these nations. Paul is saying, buckle your seatbelt, because when the Jewish people begin to accept the gospel, it's going to be even greater. It, it's going to be the new wine, not the new wine, it's going to be the more expensive wine. It's going to be the wine that he's been saving for 2,000 years to be poured on the earth. Yes, in the midst of persecution. Yes, in the midst of trials and tribulation. But there will be awesome wine poured out on planet earth that could be called a greater riches revival. And then he repeats the same thing in verse 15. For if Israel's rejection brought the reconciliation of the world, what will Israel's acceptance be but life? From the dead. There's a great revival coming. And it's connected to the Jewish people accepting the gospel. You see, there is a progression throughout history that is supposed to lead up to this time when the Jews and the Gentiles or Gentile believers and the Jewish nation, there's mutual dependency. And when the Gentile believers say, you know what? Israel 
Thanks to them, I'm born again now. I'm going to pray for their salvation. God is calling the Gentile church to become a womb of intercession for the Jewish. And it's already happened. It's happening. Friends, I mean, if you just go back a couple hundred years, there were very few Gentiles praying for the Jewish people. There were pockets here and there. Go back a thousand years. If I walked, you know, I was, I was preaching in a church in Switzerland. It was the oldest church in the, the downtown. It was the building was the oldest. It was just a typical church, charismatic church, great people. But they were using a traditional building. And I began to think when this, I was, blew a shofar and we're singing Jewish things and, I'm just wondering if I would like came and did that in the 700s when it was built, they, they would have killed me. That, that would have been considered heresy. So things have changed. <laughs> Thank God things have changed. And then lastly, verse 25. This is a powerful verse. It's a powerful verse that people have been blinded to for a long time. Paul says this, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Let's stop right there. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. So there's a possibility that they might become ignorant or they might be ignorant of this mystery. There's a mystery and they might not know it. And Paul is concerned that if they do not understand this mystery, they will become Conceited. They'll become proud. Well, put that in context. The pride is against Israel. Begin to judge Israel. Begin to persecute Israel. He's worried. Paul is worried. He's like, guys, if you don't... And he, who's he talking to, by the way? Rome! Which becomes the headquarters for the Catholic Church, which became the primary persecutor of the Jewish people. In the Middle Ages. And he's saying, guys, don't become ignorant of this mystery because it's going to result in your becoming proud. And if you become proud against the natural branches, God's going to break you off. And Paul doesn't want that for them. But sadly, that's exactly what happened. And here's the mystery. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And then he says, verse 26, and in this way, Say that with me, in this way. I hate when preachers do that. But everybody forgets that little phrase there. And in this, in what way? In the progression of Romans 11, 11 to 11, 24. What happens there? The Gentiles receive salvation. They're called to provoke Israel to jealousy. As they provoke Israel to jealousy, Jewish people accept the gospel. As they accept the gospel, it releases a greater riches revival. God removes the blinders even more from the Jewish people and there's a greater move of God amongst the Jewish people and it results in this way all Israel will eventually be saved. And in that greater riches revival we're going to see all Israel saved. We're going to see a move of God amongst the Jewish people. Will it be every single Jew? I don't know. But it's going to be big. Big enough that people will say, man, it feels like all Israel has been saved. And we see that in the, I mean, we can just go through the scriptures, Zechariah chapter 12, 10. You will look upon the one you've pierced and you'll mourn for him like you mourn for an only son. I will open up a fountain of forgiveness in Jerusalem, Zechariah 13, 1. Matthew 23, which we read earlier. You're not going to see me again until you da da da. Or he could say it this way, you will see me again 
when you say to me, when you welcome me. And then Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says that uh, here he is coming in the clouds. Every uh, And all the nations mourn for him. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. A lot of people miss that verse. It's talking about the Jewish people. It says all the nations, all the peoples of the nations will mourn. That's not what it says. If you look in the Greek, it says all the tribes of the land. Now, in Israel, we, 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 we use a different phrase for the country than Israel most of the time. Ha'aretz. So if someone calls me up and they want to say, are you in Israel? They would say, are you in Ha'aretz? Are you in the land? So we call Israel the land. And so here was 2,000 years earlier, John writes, all the tribes, hello, of the land. And again, maybe the whole world will see him as he comes in the cloud. I don't, that, that would be difficult. Because if you're on one side of the earth, he's on the other, I, you know, it'd be hard. Or maybe he's referring to the tribes of Israel who see him at his coming and they, and they just cry out. They mourn and they're broken. They mourn for the one whom they're pierced and they cry out, Ba'uch habab And there's mass revival and he returns and there's a fountain of forgiveness. I'm looking for the greater riches revival. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. In Yeshua's name, we thank you for this time together. Uh, I bless this congregation. Let it be part of that womb of intercession. Let it be uh, uh, those who cry out for an end times awakening in Israel amongst the Jewish people. Father, we thank you that you are building one new man made up of Jew and non-Jew, God. Uh, Jew in the nations, Father. That, that beautiful coat of many colors that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, a type of Yeshua. We thank you, Lord God, that even as Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, at the end of the story, Yeshua is revealing himself to his brothers. I thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.